0: Hello, Great Minds. It's time for Drinks with Great Minds in History. So, welcome to the show, everyone. As always, I'm your host, Mr. DGMH, otherwise known as Zach Tobacco. And before we get into the episode, Great Minds, this episode of DGMH is brought to you by Manscaped. You know, we all have hair, and some of us more than others. We get our hair cut, our beards trimmed, and yes, we scape some other things. And there's no better way to handle your hair than Manscaped. It provides a premier grooming experience with all their great products. Now, you might be thinking, who needs a special razor to groom different parts of their body? Well, men, the answer to that is everyone. I mean, think about it. You don't wipe your face with the same towel you use to scrub your feet clean. I hope. If you do, then maybe some revisions to your daily grooming routine are in order. I would suggest starting with the Performance Package 5.0 Ultra. Step into 2024 with confidence thanks to Manscaped, where resolutions are met and hairs are neatly kept. As the new year approaches, why not make self-improvement a breeze by keeping your body well-groomed? Introducing Manscaped's Performance Package 5.0 Ultra, the ultimate all-inclusive kit designed to help you feel clean-cut and confident as you should, featuring the powerhouse lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. This next-gen trimmer ensures precision and ease when tackling your toughest hairs. So kick off 2024 with a trim above the rest and use code DGMH at manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping. Included in this bundle is the brand new lawnmower 5.0 Ultra, the Weed Whacker 2.0 ear and nose hair trimmer, which is fantastic, and the essential aftercare products, the Crop Soother and Crop Preserver. Their fifth generation lawnmower includes two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little off the top and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. And both work very well. Plus, it's completely waterproof. And if you order now, Manscaped will also throw in two free gifts, the Boxers 2.0 and the Shed 2.0 toiletry bag. Resolutions may come and go, but a well-groomed you is here to stay with Manscaped's latest and greatest. And for me, it's that skin-safe technology that really makes Manscaped's products the true step above the rest. I mean, who hasn't nicked themselves with a razor before? Well, that fear is certainly heightened in certain scenarios, but Manscaped helps remove those fears, making this as good a shaving experience as one can get. So, start the new year off right, because when you look good, you feel good. Yes, Manscaped, helping you sculpt the best version of yourself for the year ahead, with the perfect gift for the special hairy someone in your life. So, great minds, it's a new year, a new you, and definitely time for a new trimmer. Great minds, just follow the link in the show notes to get 20% off and free shipping with the code dgmh at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com using code dgmh. Huge cheers to Manscaped, and thanks for supporting the show. As for today, well, who knows what we're going to chat about. Either way, I am enjoying a delicious bottle of St. Bernardus Christmas Ale. As you know, it's that time of year. Actually, I have a rule in my house. It's not the Christmas season until I hear the opening theme to National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, a true American masterpiece. But once I do, the tree can go up, the lights can be hung, and we can blast Mariah Carey every fa-la-la-la-locking day. This year, that day was Thanksgiving. We carved the turkey, then we put up the tree. I watched my movie, and all was right with the world ish there was still one thing lingering over my shoulder like a specter of doom and chaos to wrap up well i won't lie when i scripted this portion of the show out i hadn't yet decided i was hoping something would come to me that mirrored past closing episodes i looked back interestingly season one never really ended instead it just bled into season two which itself closed on repeal day, the end of Prohibition. That was an easy choice. Sadly, I had no great holidays around this time of year, save Christmas. I mean, obviously, yeah, fucking Christmas, New Year's, all that stuff, Hanukkah, might be fun. But we've already had plenty of incest, sex, scandal, war, save only my sanity. Nothing really seems to be missing, save beavers. But I can't do another episode on the DGMH official mascot, can I? Nah. Right? Ah, fuck it, I don't know. I guess let's just talk about Santa. Or at least the guy who puts the secret in Secret Santa, a man whose legacy is shrouded in a great deal of mystery and history. That is, jolly old Saint Nick. So let's start with a question, the question that haunts our childhood. Truly, the most tragic reality as we come of age. Is Santa real? Well, that's a more interesting question than you might think. It's not so simple as childhood dreams of Thomas Nast and Washington Irving's red-clad fat man slivering down your chimney and violating every American's right to privacy. And it's also not so simple as just to say, yes, he was St. Nicholas. Author and historian Joe L. Wheeler, who has written several texts on the topic of Christmas, asked that exact question. He said, quote, it may seem odd to ask if St. Nicholas really lived, but it was the task he had to first attack before he could ever consider writing volumes on the subject. Wheeler, convinced of St. Nick's existence, found the following, Quote, there is remarkably little in the way of surviving documents that mention St. Nicholas, but neither me nor Wheeler are surprised by this. St. Nicholas lived through the third and fourth centuries, violent and tumultuous times as the Roman Empire of the West approached its slow decline. In fact, historian Jeremy Seal points to one singular piece of evidence to confirm the existence of the man that would become Santa. Dating from the 6th century, some 250 plus years after Saint Nick's death, tells the story of another Nicholas, Saint Nicholas of Sion, who took his name in honor of our subject for today. This, along with later accounts, have assured historians, for the most part, of the existence of Saint Nicholas of Myra, whose mythical actions do not discredit his legitimate existence. His existence has only been further reaffirmed by the recent discovery of his tomb in the previously submerged portion of the Church of St. Nicholas in Myra, Turkey, where he was said to have been buried in circa 343. So believe it or not, St. Nick is real, or at least, I think. Either way, we are going to focus on the man and the myth, as studying any saint's lives requires a little bit of faith. So let's get to it. A history of St. Nicholas. If I said to you, today we are going to cover a great mind that openly paid for prostitutes, snuck around giving gifts to little kids, and found himself in jail, the last person you would think of was Santa. Or at least the actual human that Santa is based on. I mean, that description would better fit St. Ick than Nick. But no, that's what we're going to look at, the origin story of the real-life Santa, even if his story sounds more reminiscent of an SVU episode than a Coca-Cola commercial. But Saint Nick wasn't a creep, or a bad guy. I mean, hell, he's a Catholic saint. Catholic historical figures rarely, if ever, turn out to be pieces of shit. Yeah, I'm going to leave that in. What's the worst that could happen? Anyways, Saint Nick is no creep. He's a badass, a true saint who didn't give a shit about social norms, socioeconomic status, or really anything other than being awesome. Dare I say, good. So let's look at a little Saint Nick. But first, it's some history for you, a reason to drink for me. It's the history of the great minds that made history come to be. It's a little Saint Nick, little Saint Nick. Ooh, ooh, today we cover Saint Nicholas, a Catholic saint. Like I said, saints' lives need to be taken with a grain of salt. I mean, I think that most saints did a hell of a lot of amazing things, but sometimes the stories get a little far-fetched. Example: the time that today's subject managed to resurrect a few pickled, murdered children. Why, yes, I did say pickled. I mean, that might be a bit of a tall tale, but the idea that Santa is rooted in myth shouldn't surprise anybody. Either way, let's ditch that grain of salt and take a look at the miracles of Saint Nicholas, that is, the rise of a saint. In his rise to sainthood, Nicholas started as a simple average person who, upon the death of his parents, inherited a modest sum of money, money he intended to use for good. In our first story, he is said to have saved three young girls from a destitute life and prostitution. The story goes that a man could not afford to pay the dowries for his three daughters to be married off, and as a result, they would likely be turned out to the streets. In secret, St. Nick delivered a sack of gold to the family's doorstep, allowing the oldest young lady to be married. After the first wedding, St. Nick again provided the family with gold for the second dowry. At this point, the father was growing curious. Who was his mysterious patron? So for several nights, as told by one of St. Nick's earliest biographers, the father waited to catch his savior in the act. And when C. Nicholas, the father fell to his knees in thanks. But always humble, St. Nicholas provided him with the money for the third dowry and asked that he never share the secret of his charity. Obviously, this is the root of his secret gift giving, sneaking around in the dead of night and giving to those less fortunate that became so essential to our jolly fat Santa. As early as the 12th century, St. Nicholas Day, December 6th or 19th, depending on the calendar you follow, was celebrated in the Netherlands, where candy and small gifts were given to children in need. His charitable acts were depicted in Christian art for centuries, at times being seemingly as popular as Madonna and Child, only helping to cement the legacy of what would become Santa. From there, St. Nick traveled to the Holy Land, where things got a little moses During a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, St. Nick watched as a storm nearly sunk the ship he was traveling on. So what happened is, he walked onto the deck of the ship, raised his hands, quashed the waves, and calmed the storm. This moment, which is a little hard to believe, but might have just been some odd weather patterns, led him to now be venerated as the patron saint of sailors. Eventually, St. Nick was elevated to the position of Bishop of Mira, which is an interesting story in itself, as supposedly the sole qualification for becoming the next Bishop of Mira was just being a priest that showed up. In a faded plot twist upon his return to the Holy Land, the sitting Bishop of Mira had recently died, and the clergy of the city decided that the first person to enter the church would be the new bishop. It just so happened that that priest was our St. Nicholas, who had stopped off for a quick prayer. At this point, though, he was fairly young, especially for a bishop. But from there, we see St. Nick's story take a darker turn. Serving as bishop under the reign of Diocletian, he was said to be imprisoned, tortured, and eventually exiled during the Great Persecution. This was a massive crusade against the rising Christian faith, demanding that the Christian population adhere to traditional Roman religious customs, offering up ritual sacrifices to the gods, etc. Although quite bloody, the Great Persecution was a move that ultimately failed to quell the rise of Christianity. In the end, thousands were executed, but the exact number is uncertain. Either way, St. Nick survived. Things of course changed after Diocletian, as the now sole Roman Emperor Constantine converted him and his empire to Christianity. St. Nick was able to continue on with his work as a bishop, and in one famous moment he was said to have saved three innocent generals from the governor's wrath and execution, maybe even pleading their case directly to Emperor Constantine himself. And while these miracles are all fairly believable, there are some less easy to accept. The most interesting of them was the time when he encountered a butcher while feeding the hungry during a period of intense famine. The butcher, who had lured three children into his home, had killed them and pickled them, intending to sell them as hams to the poor. What the actual fuck? I can't even believe what I just read. And luckily, St. Nick saw through his lies, showed up, and literally waved the sign of the cross and resurrected the poor children. Of course, the butcher was taken into custody, and hopefully he was pickled and executed too. Either way, I don't really care if you believe that story. I'm going to sit here and stick with the happy ending that sounds less like a fucked-up Halloween episode of Criminal Minds. Still, one big historical point of contention is also always at the heart of debate when it comes to St. Nicholas. Was he or was he not in attendance at the Council of Nicaea? If you don't know, this was like a collection of all the bishops of the realms of the Roman Empire to kind of, you know, organize a Catholic faith, create, a, you know, a book of systemized teachings. Like, uh, anyway, so the Council of Nicaea happens in like I don't know three twenty-five, uh, and the debate is whether or not he was in attendance. You know, it's it's up for debate so greatly that it really just depends on what story you believe. There are accounts that say he was there, there for part of it, or not there at all. But it did happen during his life, and one account of his attendance did note that he was so angry with one Arian Christian, who, by the way, a religious group that he truly detested, that he slapped him across the face and was asked to leave and nearly was defrocked. After the Council of Nicaea, if he showed up or not, St. Nick doesn't really have much going on. It seems he just served his life as Bishop of Myra until his death around 343 CE. So that's the short story of St. Nicholas. But how do we get from Saint to Santa? Mm, Well, that's actually pretty simple. During his life, St. Nick would actually go around secretly giving to those in need. Gifts, candy, maybe I don't know, but he definitely helped those who were struggling and less fortunate. Maybe not giving toys to children, but instead giving gifts of charity to those in need. It still nonetheless makes for a pretty easy leap to Santa. And it doesn't really get more complicated than that. Santa Claus comes from the Dutch Sinterklaas, which is a slight deviation from Sint Nicholas, that is, just Sint, which is Dutch for Saint. The Dutch Christmas season just so happens to coincide with with the feast day of St. Nicholas, December 6th. Slight note, that date is actually December 19th in the Orthodox Church, where he is also a very important saint. From the mixing of Netherlandish traditions to England's Father Christmas, somehow we ended up with American Santa. I don't know if it's fair to call him that, but I mean, he got his fatness and red suit here, so I guess I'm going to say that. Of course, I do recall mentioning all this in the Thomas Nast episode, which you can totally go back and check out, but I'm pretty sure it was all rooted in Washington Irving's History of New York, where the image of Santa was originated and Santa actually got his name. From there, cartoonist Thomas Nast cemented our jolly fat man dressed in red into the American framework. Interestingly enough, the tomb of St. Nicholas was recently uncovered, at least with a high degree of certainty, in Mira or modern-day Demre, Turkey, that is D-E-M-R-E, where his bones once were kept before they were plundered in 1087. His bones are now actually located and venerated in Bari, Italy. So yeah, that's it. The short story of Saint Nick, from Saint to Santa. In the end, it was kind of funny that the myth of Santa and his red-nosed reindeer seemed like a falsity of our childhood, yet eventually we sit back and say, well, shit, Santa and the reindeer are real. Something that every year shocks me is how many people don't know reindeer are real. Well, let's wrap this up. But wait, there's still something missing. How do we fix our big season three issue? How can we get some beavers? What beaver story is there left to even tell? Oh, there's always a beaver story left to tell. So let's take a second to tell a quick tale of what seems like Santa dropping presents of beavers to the ground in Idaho in the 1940s. And I won't lie, I was surprised because it was pretty hard to find a new beaver story that was somehow connected to this season. Then it happened. A new piece of beaver history just fell on my lap that I had never encountered before. And it is tied to conservation, Teddy's legacy loosely in action. So what's the story? So, apparently, from 1939, while World War II was still raging on, to about 1950, the state of Idaho had a bit of a beaver problem. Basically, as more populated areas of Idaho grew and grew, there was a need to get rid of beavers. Well, more save the beavers, as scientists began realizing the important role they played in local ecosystems. What a lot of people overlook about our dam-building DGMH mascot is that beavers are absolutely essential to the ecosystems in which they live. To reinforce this point, recently two North American beavers were reintroduced into England to help increase the beaver population that was once decimated by European greed. Why? To hopefully better manage flooding in the future and protect stream ecosystems. It's just a simple fact. Streams, where beavers are present, are just naturally more green and full of vegetation. Still, relocating the beavers was going to be a task. How do you do it without hurting them? They had to be captured and moved safely and efficiently, but travel over rough country terrain in Idaho in 1940s vehicles was really dangerous and actually hurting them. It was noted that this rough transportation was actually doing more harm to the beavers. So one group came up with a wild plan. Take to the skies. And so our beavers were airborne. As the team worked to find a suitable solution, a box was actually developed that could hold two beavers as they were parachuted down to their new home. Initially, the idea was to create a light willow wood box that the beavers could gnaw their way out of after touchdown. But that was problematic in itself, as it ran the risk of beavers mistaking their carrier for an in-flight meal. And yes, I know that beavers don't actually eat the wood. So why go to this much effort? Well, beavers are just that awesome and efficient, and believe it or not, it actually made financial sense. Beavers can be crucial in preventing droughts, increasing vegetation, and even reducing the outbreak of wildfires in certain areas of the nation. As to the cost, one report done by the Department of the Interior in the period noted that the cost of moving a beaver, of relocating a beaver, was about $7 to $8 between capturing and transportation. But one singular beaver could save about $300 of hard labor in dealing with the aforementioned issues. Beyond that, it made expensive dam building in certain areas almost totally unnecessary. The process was actually tested several times on one singular beaver named Geronimo, which, you know, is fun, who served as a test for dozens of drops. A little sad, yes. Fucked up? Probably. Still, Elmo Heater, the mind behind the move, created a contraption that would open upon safely touching down, and the beaver would just crawl out to its new home. Of course, Geronimo had to go through so many tests that he actually just started crawling back into the box when he saw team members approaching him, now prepared to go up and drop down again and again and again the beavers would be dropped from a safe distance of about five to 800 feet in the air over an open area far away from the trees. And in the end, this was done to 76 beavers who were relocated for their safety and the safety of the Idaho environment. But is this all humane? I mean, this is where environmental conservation seems to meet animal cruelty, even lunacy. <laughs> I mean, we basically have beaver paratroopers parading down over Idaho's countryside like they were American paratroopers on the D-Day invasion. So as to the humaneness of it all, I guess it just depends on who you ask. Obviously, even as I tell this story, the whole plan sounds like a joke. It wasn't, it really happened, and surprisingly, it wasn't deadly. Only one beaver died in the whole operation, as the Department of Fish and Game declared it a massive success. PETA, unsurprisingly, pointed to the operation as cruel and inhumane. As one representative noted, that new methods of moving and controlling the beaver population in growing areas has, quote, come a long way since the 1940s. Today, there are even flood preventing pipes called beaver bafflers. Hmm. that's fun. That can overcome even the greatest of beaver instincts and dam building. To this day, air relocation is still a thing, from rhinos to beavers. Helicopters, however, are the primary method of transportation, as opposed to parachuting our furry little friends into their new home. And in the end, it was Geronimo who was the first dropped into the new region with three lovely female beaver companions to set up a new home and life by the water. Well, that's it. Our short little St. Nick story coupled with a short little beaver story all about presents falling from the sky or something like that. But thank God it's fucking over. So let's talk drinks. Today I polished off a new favorite of mine for the Christmas season, St. Bernardus Christmas Ale. If you have never tried St. Bernardus, it's a little pricey. It's a true trapeze. That is to say, it's still made by the monks in the traditional ways or whatever it is, and it's always good. But this is definitely one of the Best, most delicious Christmas sales I've had this season, and strong too, well over 9%. In terms of taste, it's got that Christmas in a bottle, well, in this case, can flavor that you just love. I'm not going to say it's as good as Great Lakes Christmas, in my opinion, but it's certainly the best one that I've had this season, as I have not yet had a chance to try uh, this round of uh, Great Lakes Christmas. In terms of price, it is expensive. As far as the exact price goes, you know, a big bottle of it by itself uh, with a special little cork is about 12 bucks. You can get bottles, I think, for mm, a pretty steep 16 to $18, dollars. and I think I a four-pack of cans was somewhere around there, too. So it's just a pricey beer, but I would definitely return next season over several other choices. I don't like my Christmas ales too, too spicy. I don't like them too, you know, weak loggery uh, This was just full of flavor. Just dark enough. Definitely one of the best. So, in terms of taste, oh, I guess I forgot to say the numbers, but it's the end of the season, so who really gives a shit? Uh, taste, definitely 5 out of 6. Price probably, you get what you pay for, but it's super expensive, so I'll split it down the middle three out of six, and I would definitely return, but price would limit it to probably once a season, so four out of six for that. In total, that puts us at 12 out of 18 points, and ooh, just about five crowns. Well, that's it. If you enjoyed this episode of Drinks with Great Minds in History, then we hope you go leave the show a great, hopefully five-star review wherever you listen, and join in the conversation over on Instagram and Twitter at DGMH History or on the Drinks with Great Minds in History Facebook group. Of course, you can get access to even more DGMH over in Patreon land, where listeners of all levels get access to content, including what I'm teaching, extra moments with Mr. DGMH, and Cullen. Last call bonus episodes from Shots and Psych, Cullen Chats China, Pete Chats Portugal, another moment with Mr. DGMH on the 30 Years War, and of course, pregame chats where we answer listener questions, catch up, and chat all kinds of history. Listeners, just follow the link in the show notes to get access to all this great content and support the show, my fragile ego, and my drinking hobby. And don't forget to check out Manscaped. Use code DGMH at checkout to get 20% off your order and free shipping. But either way, thanks to all of you for listening. Happy holidays, and I hope you have the hap-hap-happiest Christmas since Bing Crosby tap-danced with Danny fucking K. Cheers.